0: This is James Coover with K Street Research and Extensions Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. It's about time for farmers to start making plans to top dress their wheat fields. Some farmers likely already did before the last snow. The key factors in considering top dressing include timing, nitrogen rate, nitrogen source, and application method. Adequate nitrogen is an important part of the potential number of meshes per head, which is decided after the spring green-up but prior to jointing. Both the number of tillers and the number of meshes are directly related to yields at harvest. The timing of application is most important factor, and it is critical that the wheat has nitrogen early enough to do it any good. The timing is dependent on the wheat and the weather rather than the specific calendar dates. In heavy clay soils of the area, nitrogen application too early increases the risk of denitrification, but there are ways to mitigate this risk. Denitrification also depends on the weather and soil temperature. Ideally, we need to wait right before the spring green-up to minimize losses and maximize wheat usage. However, this year denitrification losses are currently on the lower end, as it happens more in wet years with waterlogged soil. Nitrogen fertilization at the latest needs to be done before jointing. Though if fertilization is held off until jointing, there is likely some yield loss already. Application rate is ideally based upon soil profile and test. Generally, though, it can be considered that not much nitrogen is left from a light pre-plant application. In total, the K-State recommendation of amount of nitrogen needed per bushel of wheat is 2.4 pounds, but this includes pre-plant, top dress, residual in, and nitrogen mineralized from organic matter. On average, in this area, it comes to about 30 pounds pre-plant and about 60 pounds top dress but this change is based upon organic matter, previous crop, yield expectations, and if it is hard wheat or soft wheat. Nitrogen rates need to be increased by 30 pounds if being grazed by cattle and is also expected for a grain crop. We have two different main fertilizer types for top dress: liquid UAN and urea, and there are advantages and disadvantages to each. Liquid UAN is used when tank mixing with herbicides to reduce application passes. However, in heavy residue and no-till situations, some broadcasted UAN is tied up on surface residues. This can be used as an advantage to help break down residues a little before planting through. There can be some leaf burn and some timing issues when mixing herbicides with nitrogen. Urea is less tied up in heavy surface residue, as it works its way down onto the soil surface. Controlled release urea mixed with standard urea can be considered on our waterlogged heavy clay soils to reduce denitrification and hold some nitrogen back until later stages of development. This is especially a good idea for earlier than normal applications. However, the wheat is top dressed, will likely need some sulfur and chloride too, if not applied last fall. If you have any questions about soil fertility, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your extension crop report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Farmers and ranchers face risk every day. Individual producers have tools to mitigate risk, such as vaccination and irrigation, but never have complete control over production outcomes. Price risk is one example of the many types of risk that can influence farm income. For cow-calf producers that are calving now or within the next few months, breeding decisions were made over nine months ago. However, it'll be another six months that most producers receive any income from that decision. It's difficult to know what markets will be like a year and a half in advance. By calving time, expected prices for feeder calves have been established through futures markets. While future prices are not a guarantee of a particular market price, they provide information about likely price outcomes. Price risk is not about whether expected prices are high or low, but whether market prices are different than expected. Let's say a producer calves in April and plans to sell in October. Today, October feeder futures are around $185 per hundredweight. So, $185 is the expected market price for October of 2022. It's the best estimate for average national prices in October, based on currently available information. The price risk faced by the producer is that when October arrives, prices may have dropped below that $85 per hundredweight. If that happens, will the producer still be able to make a profit? In some years, prices decline or stay the same. The most recent drop lately was in 2015. In April 2015, October feeder cattle futures were around $214 per hundredweight. By October, prices had declined to around $183 per hundredweight. Some producers might still have made money at $183, but this was quite a bit less than April expectations. Another example is in 2014. October future prices were high in April, but actual October prices were a little higher. In 2017, the actual October price was almost $10 higher than expected. In 2020, the expected and actual prices were similar, around $140 per hundredweight. While actual prices end up being higher than expected, we call it upside risk. Most producers are worried about price declines or downside risk. Producers may also face unexpected declines in local prices might not be reflected in the national or futures markets. This is basis risk. Essentially, basis risk is the difference between the nearby futures price and the local cash prices. Plainly, prices at the local sell barn may experience a larger decline than futures prices. To summarize, price risk management is not just about getting a high price. It's about protecting yourself from declines in the expected market. This segment has been adopted from the K-State Research and Extension's Ag Policy Expert. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent, with her report.
2: This is david Strantz, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you are looking into what type of animals you could raise if you have a limited amount of acres, you may have considered raising rabbits, or more specifically, meat rabbits as an option. Raising rabbits is fairly easy and the cost to start raising them is relatively low. If you are considering raising meat rabbits you will first want to determine your goals. Will you be raising rabbits only for your family's consumption or do you also want to sell rabbits? How many rabbits will you be able to care for and how many litters do you want to have a year? After you have determined the goals and answered these questions and are ready to buy rabbits, you will need to know what characteristics determine a good rabbit and which breed of rabbit you will want to raise. There are three main characteristics to consider when determining if the rabbit has good conformation and will fit your needs. First, they need to grow quickly and efficiently. Second, they need to be good mothers. Third, and lastly, they need to have a good meat-to-bone ratio and grow to the ideal size. Typically, rabbits raised for meat should weigh between 9 and 12 pounds, one grown. The two breeds most commonly raised for meat production are the Californian and the New Zealand White. However, there are many other breeds of rabbits that can be raised for meat as well. When figuring out what type of hutch to have for your rabbits, make sure you will be able to clean the hutch easily and that the hutch can be placed in an area where it will be out of direct sunlight in the summer to stay cooler, but also out of the direct wind to stay warmer during the winter. If you are building your own hutch, it is important to note that when constructing your growing cages, be sure the holes in the wire covering the floor are not too large, as the baby's rabbit's feet may fall through and become stuck or even broken if the holes in the wire are too large. The ideal wire to use would be half inch mesh, 19 gauge galvanized hardware cloth. Once you have the type of rabbit you are going to raise and where you will house the rabbit figured out, the next step is to decide what you will feed your rabbits. Feeding rabbits can be very cost effective or expensive depending on what you choose to feed your rabbits. In addition to feeding rabbits, a commercial rabbit feed, you can also feed adult rabbits, certain vegetables, and fruit. Some fruit and vegetables you can feed adult rabbits include carrots, apples, beets, turnips, lettuce leaves, and potato peelings. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Dave Enstrance with your K-State Research and Extension Report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. For people who have never shown an exhibit at a county fair, preparing flowers, fruit, or vegetables may seem like a daunting task, but there are standards that can help set you up for the best chance of success. For fruits and vegetables, the number of specimens you will need for an exhibit will depend on what type of food you're showing. Large vegetables like melons, squash, and eggplants only need one. Small vegetables like beans and peas need 12, and most other garden vegetables will need five. Tree fruits will need five or ten, and bush fruits will need one pint. Food plants should be chosen based on general maturity and condition. No matter which type of food you're showing, all specimens should be mature enough that they could be eaten by the judges on the spot. Avoid showing specimens that are overripe or wilted, or should have been left a little longer on the plant. Some vegetables, leafy greens, beans, and strawberries in particular, will wilt very quickly after being cut off from the plant, so harvesting as close to exhibition time as possible will prolong the life and quality of your exhibit. The fruit or vegetables that you show should all be a typical size, shape, and color for the plant, and should be consistent. Uniformity in an exhibit will go the longest way towards a successful fair exhibit. Flowers are less popular as exhibits at fairs, if only because most people would rather keep them in the garden, but standards also exist for flower exhibits. Spike-form flowers should be cut when about two-thirds of the florets have opened, with the other third budding. Round form flowers should be cut when the outer petals have completely unfolded, but not started wilting. Inner petals should be tight, but not green. Any part of the flower stem that is spent or dried and brown should be removed. Use a sharp knife when cutting the flower in order to leave plant tissue open to transport water. Immediately after cutting the stem to remove the flower, place in lukewarm water and move to a cool location for 15-20 to minutes to minimize the chance of tissue blockage. After conditioning the flower, place in a refrigerator to maximize its shelf life. Avoid storing near fruits or vegetables, as the ethylene gas put off by these products will speed up the wilting of your flower. Decorating your exhibit is allowed, but keep decorations to a minimum so you don't detract from the plants, which should be the main focal point of your exhibit. For example, placing your specimens on top of a black cloth to emphasize the color of your produce would be appropriate. Labeling your exhibit isn't always required, but can never hurt your scores, and judges sometimes vary in their requirements of labels. At the least, a label should include the name of the produce or flower, as well as a variety or cultivar if known. This way, fairgoers and judges can compare different varieties to see what might be most successful in their own gardens in future growing seasons. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's Court Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.